miracles tell us so much, it's miraculous. So today we're looking at the miraculous death of Jesus. It might strike you as strange, the idea of considering Jesus' death as miraculous. I mean, after all, if you nail someone to a cross, uh, one nail through both ankles and one nail through each of the wrists, it's only a matter of time till they die. Nothing mysterious or miraculous in that, you might think. But in the gospel accounts of Jesus' death, we find that there are many things that made this crucifixion event unique, indeed miraculous. And in Mark's gospel, there are three such things. Firstly, darkness came over the whole land for three hours from noon until three in the afternoon. Secondly, the manner of Christ's death marked him out as different. And thirdly, at the moment of Jesus' death, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So let's think about those three things in that order. Firstly, darkness came over the whole land for three hours following noon. How? What did it look like? We're not told. Most uh, commentators point out that um, the Passover being held at the time of a full moon means that it could not possibly have been a solar eclipse because the sun and the moon at that time of the month are in opposite positions in the sky. Uh, possibly it was a meteorological event such as a Sirocco wind. Um, that's a hurricane strength wind that comes across southern Europe and North Africa off the Sahara. And it can carry vast amounts of dust and sand and it can block out the sun for hours or even days at a time. But we have no way of knowing and it's beside the point. Whether by natural means or otherwise, God's action was that there was no sunlight. Now, in the Old Testament, there are multiple references to darkness or sun, the sun failing to shine. When Moses confronted Pharaoh with the ten plagues, the plague of darkness was the ninth one. Amos talks about God's judgment upon his people, including a day when God says, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. The Lord continues, I will make that time like morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day. Amos chapter 8. And Joel prophesies, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Uh, so it's, it's portentous, it's significant that the earth was dark. In Greek and Roman literature too, the darkening of the sun was just as portentous, speaking of the death of kings and of universally significant events. What we can say then is that God darkened the world for three hours while Jesus was on the cross. The darkening of the world indicates that this is a critical moment in human history, a moment of judgment, a moment of change, a moment of universal significance. The second phenomenon we should look at is the manner of Jesus' death. What things mark Jesus' death as being different to expectations? 
Well, for a start, crucifixion was agony and the death itself was slow, taking several days for a healthy adult male. As a result of dehydration and exhaustion, the victim would eventually die by way of asphyxiation or heart attack. But those who'd witnessed crucifixions before, they knew what to expect, and they knew to expect screams of pain, vicious cursing, panic and fear, desperate pleas for mercy and help, begging, and of course, sheer unfettered terror. In contrast, Jesus says nothing on the cross, according to Matthew and Mark, except nothing except a short prayer. Luke and John record other things that he said, words of care and forgiveness, ministry to those around him, but no curses or attacks. With respect to his prayer, Jesus prays the first line from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this tells us several things. Firstly, it tells us that Jesus felt abandoned by God. That's how he felt, so that's how he prayed. Secondly, it tells us that Jesus had been abandoned by God. And of course he had been. The agony of the cross for the Father and for the Son, and therein the nature of the punishment was separation, one from the other. On the cross, the Father has abandoned his one and only Son. Thirdly, it tells us that even though Jesus felt abandoned by God and had been abandoned by God, Jesus has not lost his faith. He trusts God. He knows how Psalm 22 ends in resurrection and vindication, and he knows that we know too. And he knows what God is up to. But he does want us to know that God has abandoned him. We need to know that. Furthermore, in contrast to all expectation, Jesus dies very quickly. Only six hours on the cross. All four Gospels hint at something unusual, that Jesus chose the moment to die and died by way of his own decision. He breathed his last, he gave up his spirit. In contrast, contrast, the rest of us have no idea, by and large, no idea as to which day will be our last or when our lives will be taken away from us. There was one man there who uh, had undoubtedly presided at hundreds and in fact possibly even thousands of crucifixions. Uh, The Roman centurion, uh, a senior commander with something like 200 to possibly 1,000 men under his command. And all of this was so different to what he expected and so overwhelmingly strange and so new in his experience and so overwhelming that he couldn't help himself. In fact, there at the foot of the cross, he said something that as one of Caesar's soldiers could have gotten him crucified. He said, surely this man was the son of God. And by those words, he may not have meant exactly what we would have meant. I mean, he's not necessarily saying, hey, this guy really was the second person of the Trinity after all. But he definitely is saying, if this guy's not a God or from God, then I don't know how else to explain this.
And Mark records his testimony because, of course, Mark knows that he's right. And finally, let's now think about the temple curtain. And again, there isn't a lot of detail, nor are there any words from Mark as to how this miracle is to be interpreted. The temple itself was a series of spaces or courts that got smaller and smaller and smaller. The outer court was the court of the Gentiles, basically a bazaar with vendors selling souvenirs, animals for sacrifice, money changers who changed Roman or Greek coins for temple currency. This was the place that Jesus cleared out and the place where Jesus did a lot of his teaching. Then there was the outer court or court of the women. Then through an entrance into the inner court, It was in the inner court of the court of the Israelites that the sacrifices were made, there being a sacrificial altar there. And within this inner court, there was a building that housed the sanctuary or the holy place. And within the holy place, there was a cubed-shaped room called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies traditionally housed the Ark of the Covenant, although that had been lost centuries earlier. And only the high priest was allowed inside the Holy of Holies, and then only for one day of the year, the the Day of Atonement. In fact, there were two curtains, a heavy curtain that separated the outer and inner courts, and a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Mark doesn't specify which curtain was torn, It doesn't matter. That the curtain was torn from top to bottom indicates the hand of God. God did this. It was a miracle. And the tearing of the curtain can be understood in two ways. Firstly, it can be seen as an act of judgment. The curtain, which keeps things meant to be separate, separate, has been destroyed. And therefore, the temple is compromised. It has been breached it is destroyed. Secondly, the tearing of the curtain can be seen as an act of salvation. God himself has destroyed the curtain because the thing which separated God from humanity has itself been destroyed, and that thing is sin. Which is right? Is this an act of judgment or a picture of salvation? Well, the answer, of course, is both. How can it be both? Well, perhaps the best person to explain this to us is the author of the book of Hebrews. That letter tells us about this in detail. Jesus came as a sinless man to offer himself as a sacrifice, paying the price for our sin in order that we might be made holy, forgiven and set free. This work saves us eternally and consequently the temple, which operated only to point to Jesus, is redundant. Jesus was separated from his Father in order that the separation between us and the Father might cease. But if Jesus was no more than a sinless man, as impressive and praiseworthy as that would be, then we, humanity, would have something to boast about and hold over God, who, it would seem, is happy to condemn the innocent and pardon the wicked. But in actual fact, Jesus is more than just a sinless man. He is certainly a sinless man, but Jesus is more than a sinless man. The curtain was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. This is a top-down initiative. This is God's work. Jesus is God 
with us. God taking the punishment upon himself. God taking the initiative to save the world. Let's uh, bring these three things together. When Jesus died, God signified to the world, both Jews and Gentiles, that something was happening of universal and eternal significance. It was a warning to pay attention, to repent, and an invitation to enter in. For here in Jesus is a man who is not like other people. Jesus is a man, a human being, who knows what it is like to be abandoned by God. But even in being abandoned by God, he did not sin. Not ever. Jesus is God with us. Out of compassion, destroying the thing that separated us from him, which is our sin. And Jesus' death on the cross was effective. The temple shows us that, the curtain being torn. Jesus' death on the cross was effective by one sacrifice. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Lord be with you.